You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. This is Equity One, Broadway's happy hour. Pour yourself a drink and join us as we chat about life, theater, and and everything in between. I'm Elliot Maddox. And I'm Caleb Dickey. Join us for your Equity One. Hi, Caleb. Hi, Elliot. How are you doing? Welcome to this week's episode of Equity One, Broadway's Happy Hour. I'm Elliot. I'm Caleb. And we're the hosts of Equity One. Uh, Here we sit down and chat with some of your favorite Broadway famous folks and uh, drink and play games and have a good time. And we are so excited for this week's guest, uh, a good friend of ours. Alan H. Green is with us this week. Woohoo! Ah, there I am. Surprise. Oh, <laughs> Lights, camera, and me without a stitch of makeup. Hey, hey, how's it going? Hi, Hi. welcome. Thank Cheers you. with us. Cheers. Cheers. Drink. Drink. Mm-hmm. What's everyone drinking this week? Well, we have the special drink. Well, what, are you, what, what are you drinking? Okay. All... Mine is a margarita straight from the can. And I'm down mm. here in Texas, so mine is grocery store gallon sweet tea. Mm. Ooh, it doesn't. It just doesn't get better than that. Just a gallon of sweet tea. Yeah, I love sweet tea. I I had a big old Arnold Palmer phase. Oh yeah, yeah. She's a good one. She's a good yeah. One. I used to in college. I used to do. Um, we would we would the way we would do cocktails was a big gulp from Seven Eleven, half full of a mixer, and then half full of Burnett's vodka. And so um, my favorite for a while was half lemonade and then half sweet tea vodka from Burnett's, which is just classy. Awful. Yeah. That's fantastic. Yeah. Also, um, I got with me, um, ooh. these are, it's a place called Shipley's in Houston, Texas. They are, I specifically got them just to be with you guys, the best donut holes in the world. <gasps> they are light and flaky. Oh my god! And it's like a powdered sugar. Is that powdered yeah. sugar on top or a glaze? It's a mix. Oh, it's just a I perfect love a mix. confectionery mix. Oh my god! I'm so jealous. I didn't bake this week, so I didn't have. I don't have anything sweet. Yeah. Shout out to Shipley's. Yeah. Well, thanks a lot for not shipping us some. 
really okay. appreciate that. <laughs> um, speaking of things delivered to you, this week I am drinking this week's Q cocktail. And um, to tell us about this cocktail is the mixologist that made this. This we have we have Megan with us. Megan Marshall, hi. hi. Hi, everybody. Thank you for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. It's great to be here. So part of um, part of the fun of Q Cocktails, um, which we started working with last week, is that they have guest um, mixologists, like, cur- curate cocktails. Um, so tell us about the cocktail that you made this week. Yes. So Hansel so lovingly called it the Megarita. <laughs> um, <laughs> So cheers, first of all, everybody. Cheers. So this cocktail is kind of inspired by one of the other Q cocktail guys. His name's Joel, very good friend of mine. Me and him have bonded over our love of mezcal from the get-go. So I was like, I have to do that. And then Mm -hmm. also I would always make him mezcal Negronis when he would come and sit at my bar. Would you call me? Sorry, I I'm blushing now. Oh my god! <laughs> um, so I would do that, and then my favorite mezcal, like basic uh, recipe, is a mezcal margarita. So I was like, "How can I fuse the two in honor of Joel bringing me into cute cocktails?" And you know, so I came up with this little ditty. Um, so it's mezcal. It has a bitter component, which is similar to Campari. Um, and then it has something called Lehing Mui syrup, which is one of my favorite like things ever. It looks like it looks like this. Do you see it? Yeah. It's like a powder. Yeah. And it's Chinese. Um, it's made from salted dried plums, and Ooh. the the pronunciation comes from the Chinese characters, and it means the traveling plum. Um, which I think is cool. That's cute. I love right? that. Okay, I'm yeah. gonna taste it. I All love right. Mezcal, so I'm so excited. I'm gonna taste it with you. <gasps> what should you garnish it with? Is there mm. any garnish or it doesn't not need a garnish? You don't have to garnish it, but I would do an orange slice, just simple. Oh, okay. This is really, really delicious. You really, I love Mezcal and it's very Mezcal forward, like very spicy, smoky, tequila. And the fruit, the kind of like fruitier aspect of it is not like overpowering. It really works with it, but you really get the kind of like smoky bitter thing, but it's really, really pleasant. Ooh, this is really good. Be careful with that. It packs a punch. Let me tell you. Because there's also, (laughs) there's also like chili bitters in this. Like, so you, you definitely get like a good amount of spice. It's delicious. Now, I'm last so week, I drank like this entire thing. I'm going to try and be better this week. Show a little bit of self-control so I can like make it last a couple days. Just a little, little bit. Yeah. Um, Megan, tell us a little bit about, about yourself. Where are you from? What first got you interested in, uh, in mixology? That's so interesting. Yeah. Um, so I'm from Cincinnati, Ohio. Uh, that's where I... Caleb is too? from um, Xenia. The area. Look at us, Ohio. I love it. Um, So I went to undergrad there. I was an actor. Um, That whole part, I kind of, I had some 
life happened. So I leaned into my hospitality and I ended up loving it more than I could have ever imagined. So I just started this journey of like, I need to soak up all this information. There's so much to learn, so many people to meet. Um, and I ended up working in a bar in Harlem, which is also where I met Joel. Um, and that's where I kind of like blossomed this mixology thing. The, the What they're doing up there at Uptown Bourbon in Harlem. You should go. I've been. Um, I love that bar. I love oh, the bar. perfect. <laughs> uh, what, what street so, is that? What, what's the address? It's uh, on between 149th and 150th on Broadway. Okay. okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. So they, the owners there really kind of encouraged me to develop what I already had going. I just couldn't necessarily put names to what I already knew. And they helped facilitate that, um, which I'm grateful for. And then actually over quarantine is when things started to blossom for me. There was, I had done a cocktail competition and I won. And then I kind of got <laughs> addicted to cocktail competitions. And then I was like, I'm just gonna spend my entire quarantine making cocktails and submitting to competitions. So it's been a whirlwind. How do you <laughs> submit to a cocktail competition over quarantine? Yeah, I wanna know more about this cocktail competition yeah. thing. So there's been a few different ways that they've worked. So the first one that I won was pri like right before quarantine. So that was a proper competition where you submit the recipe, they taste it, and they were supposed to have an event for all the contestants, but it got canceled. So that was, you know, what you would expect. They taste it, they drink it, they vote on it. Um, but the quarantine ones, I've had some where it's solely based on a piece you write about the cocktail and the picture and the ingredients. It's just based on how you present it. Okay. I've had, and then there's other ones where they take longer, where they actually recreate the ingredients that you give and they make the cocktail and then they judge it. So but they make it just based yeah, on how you, yeah. Oh, I see. Yeah, that makes sense. So you have to be very clear and forward in right. how you instruct people to make it, which that's the whole point of cocktails is so we can share them. Right. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. Well, thank you so much for sharing your cocktail with us this week. Well, with me, but many other people, <laughs> many other people that, um, that are interested in cocktails. And if you want to, Try Q Cocktails, have cocktails delivered right to your door here in New York City. You can follow them on Instagram at Q Cocktails. They just released the uh, the cocktail for next week. And they're also doing a giveaway for if you've used it before. The cocktail for next week is going to be... Oh, shoot. Where is it? I saw it, but it's gone now. It's in my email. Um, anyway, follow Q Cocktails and order a cocktail, and next week for happy hour, you can crack it open and enjoy it while you watch Equity One. Uh, hey. Thank you again, Megan, for coming on the show. Where can people follow you on social media? So you can follow me at So Meg Was Like on Instagram, as Hansel likes to call it, Some G Was Like. That's um, what I read it as first, Some G yeah, Was so Like. Either way is fine. Um, and then also, I'm currently working in the East Village at Amara Bar. It's a new restaurant that opened right before quarantine and COVID happened. So if you're in the East Village, come by and, and check us out. Go support. Cool. Thank you cool. so much, Megan, for joining Thank us. Nice to meet you, Megan. Lovely to meet all of you. Bye, guys. Have a good one. Bye. Peace out. Oh, Y'all, this cocktail is delicious. Uh, she just gave me like my dream job, which is the judge. 
but but I want to be like you know you know the judge that's always like doesn't actually have any expertise right that's just like the celebrity judge the icon yeah 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 yeah, yeah. that's like delicious I love it like the Grinch on um when he does like the taste tests like the the competitions uh huh yes oh my gosh Alan how's Texas you know what how is Texas um. Right. No, no. Texas is 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 great. I'm I'm here with my uh, in the house I grew up in, with my mom and my sister and one of my twin nephews, and we're, you know, just have settled into a nice routine of like I get up, they stay, they sleep until like one o'clock every day, and so I get up, kind of have the morning to myself. I have this little gym I can go to. Then by the time I get back, they're wrestling, getting up, and figuring out what we're going to cook for dinner. And I refuse to watch TV until like after dinner because it's just, you know, it'd be, be too easy stuck to on it, yeah. and do that all day. So we figure out what we're making for dinner. And then um, I'll maybe watch something with my mom, you know, a game show or something. And then we watch whatever. Um, but, you know, Texas is all right. The numbers are getting higher, you know, yeah. people are, but, you know, from what I can see in my little town, so I'm in Baytown, which is like 30 miles east of Houston, you know, people are wearing masks. I haven't seen anybody freaking out, you know. Um, I, I, you know, so here's what I feel. I feel like this week I've had a lot of friends reach out to me, like strong, uh, you know, grounded friends who are just like depressed and tired And I really think that it's almost like phase one of the pandemic is now over. And now we're like, it's like a new, like, oh, this isn't going away. Oh, this could get worse. And oh, schools are about to attempt to open. Yeah. And so I feel like now it's like the beginning of a phase two and people are just tired, you know, with the protesting Mm -hmm. and allyship and all this great stuff that's happening people are just tired, you know, all. And so I'm, I'm, I'm really trying to figure out how to um, work on some self care, mm-hmm. you know, cause I've been a lot of folks, magical Negro through a lot of these, you know, conversations yeah. and, you know, trying to help and encourage and everything, but it's like, okay, I need to, I need to make sure my cup is, is filled back up so yeah. I can continue to like, you know, do the work that I feel called to do. And then also yeah. I got a, a possible job in front of me down in the Berkshires. Um, you know, one of the um, yeah. approved jobs. Yes. So, so there's two approved gigs, right? One's at um, mm-hmm. Barrington stage and one's at Berkshire theater group. So I'm an associate artist at Barrington stage. So they're going to do a, uh, a concert version of, uh, of some Rogers and Hammerstein outside and so they've asked me to come down there, me, Alicia, Umpress, Nicholas Rodriguez, a couple other people. And so I'm like, oh, I'm about to go do a job in the middle of August, in the middle of COVID. Right. You know, so I'm like, all right, let me get my spirit ready for that. Cause I'm I'm yeah. like, you know, it's a little red set, excited and scared, you know. <laughs> sure. Um, <laughs> and, and you know, I feel like even if I'm, you know, I live with my 80-year-old mother right now. You know, my studio in Hell's Kitchen is empty. And um, P.S., if anybody wants to sublet a studio in Hell's Kitchen. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, uh, so yeah, but, you know, and then I go through the, I think like a lot of us, um, 
you know, feeling grateful that I've got a comfortable situation to be in and then talking myself through my panic attacks that I have mm-hmm. when I'm like, when am I ever going to work again? Mm-hmm. You know, and the truth is, I, I and I can say humbly, I've been kind of busy with um, virtual concerts and, you know, right. interviews and, you know, I'm doing a thing with Max Von Essen for Bay Street on Monday and I did a light lessons with Sierra that she's going to drop, you know, but none of it's paying my mortgage. No. Yeah. You know, it's keep it's keeping me busy. It's it's giving me something to do when I wake up, which is important, mm-hmm. you know. Um, but so so you know, these these small panic attacks that we're all having of like, what are we and then you know, people are like, Oh, find something new. Great idea. I never people thought of like, that. But then the reality of like, you know, even even like the other stuff we can do, I don't know, bartend, go be a waiter, go. It's like, this isn't the time to do all that because all that's closed too. Hello. And also those places have had employees that they're loyal to that also need work. They're not going to go find something else to do. Like, and then somebody was like, oh, yeah. And then somebody else was like, oh, substitute teaching. That would be. And I thought, okay, I, I could, I could see myself. And then I was like, wait a minute. I'm not about to substitute teach in the middle of a pandemic when I live with my 80 year old mother. I mean, I don't even know how that's going to work because school districts are still trying to figure out what they're doing. But, you know, so that's a long answer to how Texas is. (laughs) But, you know, at the end of the day, I I really am grateful to have this place to have come to. You know, I realize, you know, there's space here for me to be. I actually do enjoy my family. So those two things alone, I feel feel huge. Yeah, I mean, I think that, You you know, Caleb and I have been in similar situations. We like we're out of New York with family, able to get away, able to right. have a place to go. Right. Um, but it's also getting, you know, I've been back in New York for like a month now and it's getting to the point where I'm like, I go day by day of like, we have to make a plan. Like, you know, leases get up and you got to figure out things. Yeah. And, but also it's like, even a month from now, we can't really, plan what we're going to do because things are changing so quickly. Who knows, you know, who knows what, what the next few months will look like in three weeks. I don't know. I'm very grateful that Shipley's never closed their doors. They never closed them. Essential. They're essential. Even when they had signs out that said, we'll only do sidewalk, whatever, people were walking in there getting donuts. Oh, my God. <laughs> With masks on. Of yeah. course. Yeah. You, for the important things, you'll wear a mask. Yeah. You, you, never see, you never see anyone upset at a good donut place about putting on a mask because they're like, fine, I'll do whatever I have to do. You know what else you never see? And I know this is such a random stupid thing, but I have not – I have yet to see any kids – having a fit in a store that they have to wear a mask. I have not, I've not seen one parent have to yell at a kid. I don't know what these kids think, but these kids put these masks on. And I'm talking like five-year-olds, right? Who yeah. are in the carts. They have their masks on and they just have kept it moving. It's because they are fine. They play dress no. up. They're cool. They're, yeah. It feels like a superhero. Almost yeah, yeah, maybe they think it's Halloween. I don't know. But yeah. I just noticed, I was like, I've not seen one child complain about yeah. wearing a mask. It's the adults acting like children. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yes. Um, wait, so what are you watching when you're um, when you're sitting down with your mom after dinner? Oh, right, right, right. So, 
One of my new favorite things in the world is to watch RuPaul's Drag Race with my mother. <laughs> okay. And the first time we watched it, you know, we were watching it. And then she, she said, boy, those women have on a lot of makeup. <laughs> so I didn't say anything. So we watched it a little longer. And then I said, mom, those aren't, those aren't women. Those are men dressed as women. They're drag queens. Mm -hmm. So she kind of did a slow take to me <laughs> and the TV. And then she was like, so then like a, a particular person would, would be, you know, have a close up, and he she would be like, that's a man. <laughs> like, yep, they're all so so that's 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 been fun. Of course, that's on Friday nights. But she she keeps the game shows going. Like game, My like can game, watch show, game show. Yes. Mm -hmm. And you know, I think it's actually good for her because it keeps her mind going. So sometimes I'll get downstairs and we'll just be screaming out stuff to Family Feud. She watches basically Family Feud and America Says, which I didn't know what that was. Never heard I learned about America Says during quarantine too. Yeah, yeah. And then, um, so game shows with my mama. And then at night, me and my sister and nephew, we'll watch different things. Like last, uh, last night we watched Don't Fuck With Cats. <gasps> That documentary, which I had already seen, oh, but okay, we were okay. trying to fit. We were trying to because we already saw Hamilton, and then my nephew wanted us to. I hadn't seen that Spider Man, the animated Spart Spider Man, oh, yeah, yeah. which was so good. So that was like a that was we watched that like five days ago. So so then we had I think a couple nights where we kind of all did our own thing, and so then last night my mother went to bed, so it was just the three of us, and my nephew was like, all right, we gotta watch something. So we flicked through. It's amazing how you you know, you know, just got everything on the Roku and can't find nothing mm -hmm. to watch. Nothing to watch. It's, just, it's like, how is this possible? So we went through the documentaries and I had already seen the Cats thing, and I said, well, this is pretty good, and it's it's three episodes, so and it was like 10 o'clock. Um, so we went through that. They were they were riveted. And then my and then I go to bed around 1230 or one. And then my sister and nephew stay up till like five o'clock in the morning. Now wow. they watch um this 90 day fiance thing. I've heard of it. It's they not are for me. addicted yeah, yeah. to that. Yeah. I'm not watching that. Yeah, it's not for me. I <laughs> yeah. I like my trash TV like like on the higher end, yeah, you know, yeah, like yeah. I like good drag TV, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah. We well, speaking of Drag Race, so we I of course watch it every week. Caleb, are you watching every week? I'm not. I'm behind. I need to get on your app and watch it. Yeah, well, I all uh, I know someone with a login, so I know. Um, <laughs> uh, so, but I tonight I am actually going to a drag show now. How you might ask. So there is a drive-through drag show in New Jersey tonight, and I am going with uh, Michael and a friend of ours, and we are going to go watch a drag show. Like a drive in your car? Show. Yep. Like like Who's a drive-through movie? I guess so. I really don't know what any of the logistics are. All right. I know is that there is a drive-through drag show, and I'm going tonight, and I cannot wait. Because they did a CBS, we watch the news every night in the nightly news. They did a thing about like these country stars that are like doing drive through mm -hmm, concerts. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And it looks like it was like parking space for your car and then like a, a tailgate space and then an, a space and then a parking spot for a car and then a tailgate space. And then a, oh. so I don't know what the, um, the setup is, but I am so excited. 
Just something to go do. Yes, exactly. I mean, you know, we're like something to put an outfit on for. You know, <laughs> even if you just go sit in your car and nobody gonna see it. Truly, it's truly. So I'm. So we're gonna go get Sonic and, uh, and yes, Sonic. Yes, Sonic. Make it like a drive-through, a drive-through evening. Yeah. Who is headlining the um, the show? Do you know anyone? So Monet Exchange, lovely. Um, yes. Evie Oddly, Aquaria, oh. Asia O'Hara. Oh, this um, is the real deal. This is yeah. the real thing. Yeah. Oh, okay. So I'm really excited. These are all oh, the, uh, all the Drag Race girls. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, do they, how do you tip them? Like, do you like tip them like at a regular drag show? I don't know. I imagine they don't want my dirty cash money yes. from a stranger's hand in this in this world. So, uh-huh. um, I, you know, Venmo works great. They'll figure it out. I saw <laughs> I saw a YouTube video. They were talking about churches who were trying to figure out, you know, because a lot of churches have lost, you know, tips and or, uh, uh, you like know, offering. the weekly giving. They, yeah. they, they showed one church that was meeting in person again and they had the the offering in a remote control car. That was just oh. going. <laughs> that pastor said, "I'm not, I'm not missing out on my offering. We're gonna figure this out. Y'all can stay socially distanced, but we getting this. So they, have, so maybe hilarious. they'll have a remote control car. Like they, like you get the, uh, like you get the little bulletin at church, and you like scan the code on your phone, and it takes you to a Venmo. Yeah, to yeah, like, like, like at a restaurant. Yeah, yeah. Girl, yeah church yeah. is, church is gonna get their money. Yeah, yeah, we gotta do um, it." <laughs> have you have you been to any services like virtually or anything? Oh yeah, so I go to a little church called Metro Baptist Church in um in Hell's Kitchen right across the street from my apartment. That's available for sublet on 49th <laughs> Avenue. No. Um and so and and it's a, it's just a a great little sweet little Baptist church that um has always been about justice, you know, before it was a hashtag. And so we have like a rooftop farm for a food pantry and a, a clothing closet and a program for veterans who are homeless to get them off the street and a program for battered women who are homeless to get them off the street. So basically all the programs had to be shut down except for the food pantry, which was considered still um, essential. Very much so. And, so. and actually the food pantry has increased by like 600 some percent. They used to just do it once a week, right? But now they do it like five days a week because there's such a need. Um, and, and we just have a ragtag little staff that's out there with masks and gloves on. Folks lined up every day. It's amazing. So our our services have been on Zoom um, on Sunday morning. So although I'm in Texas, so it's 10 o'clock for me, which feels shockingly a lot earlier than 11 o'clock <laughs> but it's like all oh. i gotta do is literally roll over and put a shirt on so i can yeah I can make that happen mm-hmm. but i love my little church yeah metro baptist and i uh, love that um, yeah, yeah. I, you know you're you're so right an hour makes such a difference i remember th- like thinking about that like because we did try on the chocolate factory together and we had very early shows like very early matinees one yeah, o'clock yeah. And a, a, a one o'clock matinee and a two o'clock matinee are two very, it's very amazing. different. Amazing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But then you get to that end of the day. Remember, we used to have one and six o'clocks. Oh, it so was great. It felt like we had an, a Sunday night off, even yeah. though we'd done two shows. And our Wednesdays were, were one o'clock. One. Yeah. So we were done with work at 3 30. Yeah, I remember we Cooler Rock did that same thing too. Uh-huh. And I kept telling y'all, people were like, this schedule is crazy with Thursday night off. And I'm telling you, that one o'clock Wednesday matinee, and then you don't have to be back till 7 30 on Friday. 
that was you hop on, a, be on a, several times i would be yes. on a plane somewhere else <laughs> a 5 30 thursday night uh-huh. and not have to take one day off and be back at 7 29 yeah that friday night show absolutely many times you underdress that finale that bow <laughs> take it I, off I'd have, my, I'd have my juries already ready to get yeah. off just you run you on. run to the airport you get yep. on a 5 30 flight and you're gone until friday night yep i did that a lot that's good stuff I yeah. love that you're. Um, I love that you talked about how your your all your churches outreach. Um, yeah, it's just, that's been really, so huge yeah, that's right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and and, and, like, a, and like a real, um, you know, it's so interesting. You know, I grew up Baptist, and so our church has a whole. Um, it, uh, so the, the outreach program is called Rauschenbusch Metro Ministries. So Rauschenbusch was a German Baptist at the turn of the century who lived in Hell's Kitchen. And he had two revolutionary principles. One is, I'm just here to meet your need. If you need some food, if you need a shirt, if we end up talking about God and Jesus, that's great. But the, but the important thing, I want to meet your need, Okay. The, the second thing that was revolutionary is if you want to help me meet this person's need, I don't care what you think. You don't have mm. to be Baptist. You don't have to be a believer. I, I, who cares? So those principles were revolutionary at the turn of the century. And unfortunately, they are still revolutionary to a lot of folk Girl. in this country. Mm-hmm. You know, right. So those are the principles. So we have... Uh, um, volunteers from all over, from all walks of life, you know, and our church body is really kind of a small ragtag group of people, but the volunteers extend to all kinds of people with, with all kinds of beliefs and some with no beliefs, but you know, we're all, our heartstrings are connected because we're just literally trying to meet the needs of the folks right there in the community. Yeah. So it's a, it's a great, it's a great little church. And I, you know, I grew up going to church, church is like in me, I enjoy church, but when I went, when I moved to New York, I was going to all these churches and couldn't find a place that I felt like I could be me and felt comfortable. And then, and then I was going because I had to, go, because I felt like I should go, mm-hmm. which was mm-hmm. like new to me. And literally three minutes into the service, I'd be looking at my watch and I'd be like, mm. oh, this is why people don't go to church. Because going <laughs> to church because you feel like you have to is for the birds. Yeah. And like I said, growing up, even though I had to go to church, my parents like, picked places that like were fun for kids. So I wanted to go, you know, right. I, I, and so, so the idea of like being a church when you feel like you have to go, I, I don't know how the Catholics do it, but <laughs> so I got my place and, and then it, it, this church happened to be literally across the street. And so I waltzed in there one Sunday and that was like, I don't know, nine years ago, I'm the deacon chair. Come on. Wow. Me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so I, yeah, I, I love it. I love, I love my little church and, and they, we were having, they were, we have happy hours on Friday for zoom and a couple meetings during the week, you know, particularly when the first, when it all started happening, just cause you, you know, we all needed to feel a sense of community and, yeah. and have something to have an appointment to, you know, get, get dressed to be ready for something to do. Something. Yeah. Um, yes. but there, but like I say, that's, it's really just all about justice and helping folks. It's, that's all that the church has ever done. I love that. And you're so right about the beginning of this quarantine, like just getting, having a reason to see people like the yeah. happy, 
you talked about kind of like phases of quarantine. That yeah. was definitely like the first phase of quarantine. Like the like, oh, yeah. let's find a make schedule. A schedule. Zoom. Yeah. Like we well, have to like each it, other. Because it almost because it seemed like oh let's get through this real quick and make this cute. You know, mm -hmm. we had our quarantinis. We had our you know we yeah. were zooming with every cast we'd ever been with ever before <laughs> ever. ever. Yes. All these people we've never seen before, making all these connections. And for a second, it almost felt like our lives were fuller because of all this Zooming stuff we were doing, right? Yes. And now it's like, okay, well, that fad is kind of over. Yeah. You know, a lot of people are Zoomed out and they just want to, oh, you know what? Let me tell y'all. I don't know if you've seen this video. Mm -hmm. These two little cousins there may be 11 and 12. And I guess the families had been quarantining together. It was a boy and a girl. And they were kind of standing next to each other, acting all, you know, kiddish. And the parents were filming and they said, oh, cousin so-and-so and so-and-so -and -so get to hug for the first time. So they were going to film the kids getting to hug for the first time. So the kids were acting, you know, kind of shy and whatever, whatever. And they're, but they're cousins, so they obviously knew each other, right. obviously hugged each other before. And so the parents counted down and they were giggling awkward and they went in to hug each other. And then both of them just broke down into tears. Oh. And the parents behind the camera, all the laughter stopped. Because it's like, People are the loss of that intimacy. Yeah, I, we're all going to have a PTSD. You know, we're making the best yeah. of it and we're doing what we can. But the loss of that—I mean, if I was talking to that about a friend of mine, and he was like, "You know, now that you mentioned that," he said, "I haven't been touched or touched anyone in three months." Mm -hmm. You know, and and it's just there's just no telling. I mean, I believe we're resilient and strong and we're we're able to get through what's put on our what burdens are put on us. But you know, this is just like a crazy craziness. And, yeah. as, and as aware as we are of the the sadness of it all, I think there's a whole lot more that we're not even aware of. Yeah, you know, I, like those two cousins who just—it was so sweet, but it was like they're—they're they're all of us. That's gonna be all of us when we can finally, yes. like, you know, yeah. hug as you know. Yeah. Well, and I think another side of that is the—you know—I still, right now, have like a lingering paranoia about like getting too close to people physically or like yeah. seeing someone on the street and being like, oh, like let me no, like make sure, sure. my distance, like it really is going to take a while once things kind of get to a more normal place that that is going to stick around because yes. there's like a, there's like a fear attached to like being close to someone physically. Right. Right. Um, and like the Texans, you know, we're huggers. So that's our, our inclination yes. is to do that. And now all of us are like, get away from me. Or you, you know, even though we may be, really need the hug at the same time, our mind is saying, eh, I don't know you, you know, right. Whatever. Right. And so it's so funny to think about like when you, cause you're in Texas and I'm in Ohio. When you see family, you're like, okay, are we going to hug our family? Or are we not going to hug our family? It's a legitimate question that we have. And yeah. Yeah. And yeah. everybody's so different. I saw, I was with a friend of mine kind of hanging out socially distancing and we were riding bikes through her neighborhood and we ran into some high school, a, a high school friend of ours who lived in her neighborhood 
So they came out of their house and we didn't have masks on because we were bike riding. And then she ran over to me and wanted to give me a hug. And she said, oh, I don't care. And I was like, I do. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm sorry. Yeah. I live with an 80-year-old woman I, uh-huh. who, who who's, I love more than anybody. So, And so then my friend was like, oh, yeah. okay. But it was like, I, you know, I'm, yeah. you know, I got to keep it. <laughs> we got to keep yeah. it back. Well, and everybody has their own rules. Like, I didn't hug my family when I came in from New York because at the time, we were coming in from the hotbed. Yes. Yes. And Uh I was like, I was like, I will never forgive myself if you get sick. So you're staying, you are staying away from me. And similarly, like, I was in Kentucky recently, like, more recently for, um, for some family stuff. And, and there are, you know, people at restaurants and things without masks on. People being like, oh, hi, good to see you. And I'm like, great to see you. Please stay yeah, away yeah. from me. I'm not touching yeah. anyone. You need to yeah, stay yeah, back. Yeah. Please. Like, No, we. St- I still rarely only hug my mom right after I've taken a shower and put on clean clothes. That's really mm-hmm. the only time. And, and and which really is just like I get out the car. I spray it down with Lysol. Yep. You know, mm-hmm. As soon as I walk in the house, I just go straight to the kitchen and wash my hands. You know, we're still spraying off the the door handles on the refrigerator, you know, yes, it's, it's just yes. part of even my 21 year old nephew. It's not, it's just part of our life now. Yeah. You know, cause we're, cause I am going out a little bit, you know? Um, and so, I mean, at this point, everything we're all doing is like a calculated risk. Yeah. You so, know, and particularly when you're with people who are of a certain age, yes. it's not just me that I'm dealing with it, you know? Right. So we're, mm-hmm. you know, Figuring it out, what works yeah, for us. Yeah, it out. One of us. yeah, yeah, yeah. Wait, Caleb, where in Ohio are you? I love the sunflower behind you. Well, I'm not in Ohio quite yet. Um, so we are. We are leaving um, Georgia and making our way back to Ohio, and we're seeing two friends in Tennessee. So I'm in Jackson, Tennessee. We stopped and we saw Tina Turner's um, old um, school that she went to on the road trip. So that was oh, fun. Wow, cute. Yes. Like her. Um, High school, or like no, like her one room schoolhouse that she went to as a oh, child. Oh, nice! Oh, wow, wow, wow. Um, and so we're at um, our friend Lauren Pritchard, she was in the original oh, yeah. cast of Spring Awakening, and um, we're just making our way to Ohio, we'll be there tomorrow, so slowly making our way up. I know Caleb is taking his sweet ass time getting back to New York, and I'm <laughs> over it. <laughs> um, Good for you, because what, what, what you got to be anywhere for? Take this sure, time. Yeah, yeah. To hang out with me. <laughs> Look, I got a, I got my little like circle of people, and I'm saving a space. Right, right. right. Thank, you. Thank you. All right. Um, so, Alan, we start each interview officially by asking our guests um, what first got them interested in the arts when they were a young person. Oh, yeah. So uh, so I came late to all of this. Uh, my older sister was really um, the singer in the family. She has a voice that's a cross between Tony Braxton and Patsy Cline. Yes. So Ooh. she mm-hmm. was going to be like the first black female country singer. So I'm five years younger than her. So <clears throat> I was kind of her doo-wop kind of little background guy. We'd sing at weddings and luncheons and, you know, that kind of stuff, right? And then she decided not to pursue it. So I was kind of left over. And so people would call for us. But so I kind of learned a few things on my own. Then my dad moved us to this big mega church in Houston. 
and I started singing there solos. And then I sang. So then at all this time, I'm only thinking about being a lawyer my whole life, you know, had never been in a musical and had just really sung with my sister. Wasn't in choir either. I was in the orchestra and played football. And so then I get to Rice University uh, on a football scholarship and ended up doing this major solo with a th literally a thousand voice choir and they played it on CNN and it was for the president at the time of the United States. Um, and so after that aired on CNN, all these people started calling me from around the world to sing it like the religious stuff. So I was mm -hmm. like, oh, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to have a music ministry and I'm going to. So at the end of my freshman year, I was at, at, at Rice. I'll never forget. I was literally in a in like a hurdler stretch in my football. I love to say costume in my football. Year. <laughs> <laughs> it was spring training. And I remember thinking, boy, I sure wish I could accept some of these singing engagements next fall, but I'm going to have football games. And then I thought, well, if I really want to sing, I probably am going to stop playing football. And if I'm going to quit playing football, I probably should do that soon. And I quit that day. Work. Wow. I, was, I was recruited to replace the guy who had just won the best running back in the country award, the Doak Walker Award. So they had recruited me to replace him. So I was like, they're putting all this uh, confidence in me and I'm going to quit. So I need to quit now, I, you know? So right. I quit. I went home that weekend and I told my parents, I think I'm going to quit football. And, and I remember my mother had a fit. My dad was <laughs> like, okay, well, what are you going to do? And I said, well, I think I need to go to the music school and learn how to sing. Cause I think, I think this is what I'm supposed to be doing. And so I need to like take a voice lesson and figure out how to do this. So my dad was like, hmm. So I didn't, um, I had, I say this humbly, but I had won all these academic scholarships. So yeah. I just assumed when I quit football that that money was just sitting around somewhere and I could just use that. Well, that's not how it worked, okay? <laughs> so I auditioned for the, and you'll get a kick out of this. I auditioned for the music school. I went in there with a jam box and like a Michael W. Smith song <laughs> and sang some contemporary Christian song. They yeah. looked at me like I was an idiot. I got into the music school because the 80 year old voice department chair, Virginia Babikian, who was this, had this major opera career. She loved the football and she thought it was the coolest thing that this big old football player wanted to learn how to sing. So I got in, but then the problem was there was no money to pay for it. And I kind of felt, that once I got in and they figured out I could play all these instruments and whatever, they'd pay for my junior and senior year, the music school would at Rice. And I told my parents, I was like, you guys have already sacrificed enough driving me all over the place, doing all this stuff. I was a very accomplished high school kid. I said, you've already paid your dues. You're not paying a dime for this. So uh, actually the, the mega church that I'd been singing at, they helped me out a little bit. Because really, I would have been like an artist in residence at that church, but I was right, kid, right. Yeah. And then, um, and then I just threw a hail mary. It was like a week before school started. Was my sophomore year was supposed to start, and like those twins in the Facebook movie, remember when they got the meeting with the president of Harvard? Uh huh. Yes. Okay. I went and I got a meeting <laughs> with the dean 
of admissions at Rice University and I rolled in. <laughs> I haven't thought about this in a while. <laughs> I rolled in a TV and a VCR. Presentation. And I yes. played that clip of me singing for the president of the United States when he then, I got a standing ovation and the president walked over and shook my hand and it said Rice University student, Alan H. Green. And I said, if you want to continue having publicity like this, I need my sophomore year paid for at the music school. But Word. if you don't, Word. then I'm gonna go somewhere else. And he looked me up and down and he was like, all right. And they wrote me a check. Yes. Started my sophomore year a week later. Okay. So get into the music school. That's <laughs> it's an amazing yeah. story. It's literally yeah. a lifetime movie, right? Mm -hmm. Like, you know. So I get into Rice, my sophomore, the music school, my sophomore year, and then I, I take the voice lessons, right? So that, and then, and like I thought, once I got my junior and senior year, the music school then put me on scholarship. Mm -hmm. So I graduate, I've got a, a record uh, deal with a top contemporary Christian label in Nashville. So I graduate from Rice University as this opera, I mean, it was a classical training yeah, mm -hmm. to be this contemporary Christian artist. So I go to Nashville, have a meeting, and then the first meeting, they're like, all right, you need to get married to a woman right now. Wow. And I was like, uh, you want me to sing about God's truth and being a fake marriage? I, I didn't sign up for that. And so I left, and I didn't do it, and I randomly got a job at Opryland. Yes. Mm-hmm. And one of my friends was doing an audition for a cruise ship. And I was in the car. We were carpooling. I don't know if it was his car or my car. And he came out of the audition and said, you know, they're doing Dream Girls on a cruise ship. And I was like, oh, I know a song from Dream Girls. So as fate would have it, I went in there, got the job. So I ended up singing on this cruise ship. I'm almost done with the story. No, this I is perfect. Oh, I love it. Yeah. I ended up singing on this cruise ship that sailed out of Florida for six months. And then they basically fired all the black people, but me and one woman. And then they changed the show from Dream Girls to 42nd Street. And then they started doing it out of New York to Bermuda. And P.S., I was Julian Marsh and they took out the the love relationship between Julian Marsh and Becky and and Peggy Sawyer because she was white and I was black. That's just a side note. That's that's for another podcast. But anyway, so I ended up um, on this cruise ship that docked in New York every Saturday, and so my friends in the show were setting up auditions in New York. Sure. And so I set one up, and the first audition I did was for Arthur Faria for the national tour of Ain't Misbehaving with the Pointer Sisters. So I oh, went in, yes. yeah, I went in, I did the audition, I wait outside, Arthur Faria comes back and says, we'd like to offer you the, they, they offered me the job at the audition. Wow. So we'd like to offer you the swing. And I said, what's a swing? <laughs> and he said, oh, you're, you'll play either Andre or Ken when they're not playing it. You'll learn both parts and you'll like be at the ready. And I said, oh, so I won't 
I won't work every night. I won't like sing and dance every night. He was like, no, just when the other people aren't. I said, yeah, I'm, I'm not going to want to do that. And he said, okay, could you hold on for a few minutes, please? And he went back <laughs> in the room and 15 minutes later, he came out and said, we'd like to offer you the role of Andre and don't audition for anybody else. Because yep. I told them that that was my first audition. And so I was, I remember saying, Mr. Faria, I don't know if I can like not audition. And so anyway, I went back home to Texas. I told my parents, I said, I think I'm going to go to New York. I think I can be who I am and do what I'm learning that I love to do in New York. So my dad called a cousin of mine in the Bronx and was like, not, he didn't ask him. He said, Alan's coming to live with you, my cousin Helena. So I moved up there and I didn't take the Pointer Sisters job because I was like, well, if I'm gonna be on Broadway, I need to be on Broadway. I mean, that's I didn't know any different. I just didn't know any different. And three months later, I was in a Broadway show. Amazing. And that's how I ended up in New York. That is such a wild story. I mean, I knew, <laughs> yes, yeah. I knew that your story had like twists and turns that got you <laughs> to New York, but the, there are so many like gag worthy moments, especially like, especially you coming in with that video and like being in presentation and saying, oh honey, this says, this says Rice University. So. And the only thing I can do, the only, the only way I can credit that is that I had a father who I saw my whole life ask for what he wanted. I had an example of that. In my mm -hmm. So what I learned from my dad, I swear every interview I do lately, I cry. This is, this is, this is what I mean by we're all just tired and broken. It's where we are. And, and yeah. we're, we're all so, I think we're all so with ourselves and that's it, that all we yes. can do is reflect. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and so when we think about these things, we're with them really, you know, yeah. we're, we don't have distractions. Yeah, so I learned from my dad, you have to be willing to ask for what you want, but you also have to be okay if the answer is no. Mm -hmm. But it's okay to ask for what you want. And that's just something that I learned. And I realized now as an adult that that's about self-worth, right? Yeah. A lot of people don't ask for what they want because they don't think they're worth it, mm -hmm. which is like a whole self-sabotage thing, right? Yeah. So, I didn't know any other way than to try to create what I wanted in what seemed like a reasonable thing to me. And so it seemed reasonable to me to talk to the president of the rice of rice and say, I just sang for the president of the United States on CNN. And it said, you just name of your school. There's value in that. Yes. And so I need a little help because I found myself in this situation. And so I just went in there and did it, you know, I think it's, I think it's a great, I think it's a great lesson to, to have people actually hear that, that you need to, and this isn't just about, you know, asking for higher pay in your job or a scholarship at your school. This asking for what you want is, it's through your actions as well. You know, right, if you yeah. want to be, if you want to be a performer, then you have to like, you have to like ask it of the world by your actions, which is right. auditioning all the time, meeting the right people, doing the work. That is asking. That is right. like doing. And and I've read a great book. I don't. 
it's called The Art of Asking. It's by Amanda Palmer. It's a great read if anyone hasn't read it, but it's she like invented crowd, crowdfunding for musicians. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's all about the idea that people wanna help artists. People, There are people, we all have things to give and certain people to support the arts want to give money and support right, right, to, right, right. to help cultivate. And you just have to ask for what you, um, And, you know, it's interesting when you think about art, because at the end of the day, we don't have to ask anybody to be artists. Right. But when I hear younger people say, oh, I want to be a writer or I want to be a singer, I want to be an actor. No, you you are that if you do that. You don't have to ask for permission for that. Right. But when it comes to to certain other things, we have to ask. And, And the other thing, you know, we're about to all be like, you know, without health insurance and no job opportunities. And so probably like never before, we're going to have to ask. We're going to have to ask yes. for help. We're going to yeah. have to get over our pride or get yeah. over our, you know, and that's, and then that's going to be new for a lot of us, you know? Yeah. And, it, and it's interesting, you know, I've told some of my friends, I've been lucky to, to never have to do anything but what I do. But, but now the curse of that is, I'm not qualified to do anything else. <laughs> you sure. know, I mean, obviously I'm smart and I can figure other things out, but I mean, you know, so I'm going to, we're all in situations where we're going to have to ask for help. We're going to have to ask for new information, but ultimately we're going to have to ask ourselves, do I have the courage to, to, to make whatever is supposed to happen, happen? Yeah. 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 And I think that, you know, a lot of times we have, we have this, um, thing in our lives as artists, this kind of like ever growing thing that's in the back of our mind. That's like this, the idea of the starving artist or the, right, who, exactly. someone who, who mm-hmm. you know, and everyone asks what our backup is. And yeah, we're yeah, like, yeah. Oh, no, and, I, gonna- and I think, you know, so, sorry to cut you off, but that just reminded me, I think one of the things about the story when I, when I like turned down that first tour, I didn't glamorize coming to New York and being a starving artist. I was, I, and I know that was a little cocksure, but I didn't know any different. I just thought, okay, well, if I'm coming to New York to be on Broadway, then that's what I need to do. And I was so focused on that. Um, I didn't glamorize all the other things that people sometimes have to do. And I know there's a reality of paying your bills and all that kind of, of stuff. Course, yeah. and we yeah. all need, you know, we all need better money. All the, these schools need money management with these kids who come out of these conservatories yes. because that really can make or break you. But, you know, I didn't glamorize that. I just was like, you know, if I'm going to do this, then this is where I need to be. And I kind of just stayed, uh, you know, ferociously focused. And, mm-hmm. and you know, it would have been fine if it not have happened. There's a million things I could have done. And then once, you know, I got in the show, it was called Play On. And it was like this incredible show that didn't last very long. And then I went to Meisner um, Institute and, and took uh, Meisner for a year and a half, which was perfect for me because I didn't you know, I, I just trained classically, but I, uh, vocally, but, but that Meisner training was like exactly what I needed to get out of myself. And, um, but, um, yeah, it's just, uh, it's just, you know, I, I have always lived my life with the motto of like, I don't have to figure it all out today. And that's not a passive way of living. Clearly, I'm not, you know, I'm not passive. I like to make things happen. Mm -hmm. But I do believe that I don't have to figure it all out today. Because what I've also found is that I always say it's like I come up with my plan A 
And then God comes up with like a plan A plus, like literally uh, when thing, I mean, you know, not to be, and everybody's got a different idea about religion, but sure. you know, when things don't work out, it literally is because something else better ends up yep. working out. It's yeah. just the way it is. So sometimes mm -hmm. I'm like, okay, well, I don't want to just necessarily, I just want what I'm supposed to have. Mm -hmm. yes. I, I just want what's for me. Right. And that, and that's how my life unfolded through the college situation to Nashville, to Broadway, I'm happy because I've just kind of followed this path that's laid been laid out in front of me. Now I've been deliberate about keeping myself prepared, you know? Yes. Um, so I just feel like no other time in my life is that more important to remind myself that I don't have to figure it all out today as we look into this unknown. And then the other thing, the other thing I'll say, this is something I've been saying through uh, this whole quarantine. A buddy of mine, when the first, when the first, when it all first started happening and they were about to close down Houston, a friend of mine just kind of just put up this completely unreasonable Facebook post and kind of politicized what was happening. And so I'm not a big, um, I don't go on people's Facebook page and whatever, whatever, but I will right. call somebody on the phone. Cause I'm a, I'm a one person at a time kind of guy. And so I said, you know what? I know you're reasonable. And this is the way that I found getting into these conversations. I said, help me understand how you came to this conclusion. Yep. It just doesn't seem reasonable to me because mm -hmm. I know you're reasonable. And so basically he went on and on and was like, but me, my, my company and my employees and my family and, you know, he completely politicized this, even though it's happened to the world, right? Yeah. Somehow. And I said, you know, everything you're saying is correct, but the only pronoun you're using is I and my. And I said, this pandemic didn't happen to you and yours. It's happening to us. Everyone. It's mm -hmm. happening to all of us. I said, you got to change your pronouns. So that's something that I have reminded myself of constantly. When mm -hmm. I was trying to get unemployment and for five weeks I couldn't get through, yep. uh -huh. Alan, we can't get through. You are one of yeah. millions of people that are trying to get through. When I have a, a minor panic attack about, well, I can't get work weeks, so I'm not gonna have health insurance. No, 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 Alan. There's a community of people who are dealing with that. Yeah. This is not about mm -hmm. you. It's not specific to you. And so that has really helped um, lighten the the individual burden that I feel. Mm -hmm. Yes. To not talk so, it's just not about me, which, you know, as actors, yeah. it's always about me, right? That's, <laughs> that's, that's who we really are, right? Well, so that's like, that's like deliberate work we got to do to remind ourselves, no, 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 this is not about you. This is about us. Yeah. I try and remind myself of like the global nature of it and and especially in our industry is that like you know usually like when an actor is upset that they don't have a job they're like looking at everybody else going off and doing their work and doing their show and all this and that's it makes it be like well why am i not doing that but now it's everyone yeah. <laughs> the there from tony winner to you know yeah. well to like you know well not not it because that's yeah happening yeah. girl but yeah yeah um, that's all yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh -uh. um step into the world of power loyalty 
and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Uh, well, I, I want to, you know, we, we've, uh, we met on Charlie and the Chalk Factory. And I remember even back in 2016, 2017, when, when that was happening, like, you know, you talk about your church always having outreach and always being about justice and, you know, we, I, I've been part of conversations with you that are very reflective of the converse, the big conversations that are happening now about uh, the black community and representation and justice and br- police brutality. Um, so you've been doing that work, talking to those, talking to people about these issues for a long time. And I know that now is a time where, you know, this, these issues are in the spotlight. So um, you're, people are talking more about them. Mm-hmm. Um, so what has your experience been with that as someone who's always been having these conversations and I'm sure you're having them even more now, right, how, right. how are you doing? Well, you know, I, I have to say at the end of the day, in the midst of all this unnecessary death, of all of these black lives, I do think that a veil has been lifted and that people are finally seeing things through a clearer lens, right? We have, and that's one of the reasons it was so important for me to go to George Floyd's visitation and and stand in line in the sun and see him because it was like, that was like a turning point because I've always said the per- the person who's going to say, Alan, I don't see color, in my mind, that person is more dangerous than the person who's going to call me the N-word to my face. Because the person who's going to call me the N-word to my face is at least living in the same reality that I am, that there is race-based prejudice. But the good-hearted person who claims that they don't see color and always want to explain race out of everything, that person just isn't in the same reality that we're in. And those are good people, okay? Yeah. It's, not about, it's not about being bad or good. It's about being aware or not. Mm-hmm. And so I just think there's a new awareness that people have of like, oh, this is really a thing. Mm-hmm. This is there. Oh, there is a difference. And yeah, slavery's over. But is it really, you know, it's just changed. It's just manifested in a different way. You know, I, never before have I seen cops 
vehemently denounce what another cop has done until George Floyd. I mean, mm-hmm. cops not only got up and said that I admonish him, they were like, we're literally taught not to do that as far as the, the knee choke hold, the knee neck hold goes. Mm-hmm. And we seeing cops protesting with the protesters, our police chief out here, like they got on horses and led the protesters. I mean, we've never seen that before. Some of these statements from some of these companies, you know, Reebok was like, our company would be nothing without black people. Black lives matter. I mean, there was no, you know, coach was like, our buildings and purses can be replaced. Guess who can't be replaced? Yeah. Rihanna Taylor, mm-hmm. George Floyd, Ahmaud Aubrey, Black Lives Matter. You know, the world is responding. These marches all over the world, you know. And the, the gag to me is, is that God said, I'm going I'm to put the world on pause to make you see this. Mm-hmm. Because people didn't have their brunch and their lunch and their businesses and the gym and their auditions. People didn't have all this other stuff to be distracted by. We were literally sitting in our houses with no place to go. And we're all watching whatever news we're watching. And it it it, it has hit people in a, in a real way. So, you know, sometimes you get tired of saying the same stuff over and over and over again. But then you realize, no, we just we got to we got to help folks understand one person at a time, because Mm -hmm. at the end of the day, I actually gave a sermon at my church and I was talking about a lot of white folks get caught up in the fact that they didn't know. And then there's all this guilt once they are aware. okay, well, we don't have time for your guilt because you the, the truth is you can't know. So. I don't need you to know. I just need you to know that you don't know. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. And as somebody who was a recipient of it for 20 years, the first two decades of my life, I didn't know. It took me living in another country for two years to really finally feel the oppression that was a part of the fabric of my skin until I was in another country where it wasn't there. That's how deep it was in me. That I, while I was in the middle of it, I didn't even know what was going on until I left the country and for the first time was like, oh, I've got a whole lightness over here that I don't even get to experience in my own country. So, you know, um, and the other thing too I'll say is that, you know, we have to remember, you know, allyship you don't just become an ally, right? Allyship is something that happens daily and over and over again. Yeah. It's not just, oh, I did this, now I'm an ally, mm-hmm. right? It's, it's work that we've got to be conscious about to do over and over and, you know, potentially can become habitual, hopefully. Um, yeah. And that you'll have the courage you know, when you're in all white spaces and somebody says something crazy to, to speak up and offer another opinion. And the other thing you have to realize when you're at that family dinner and that crazy uncle says the crazy thing he's saying, it's not necessarily, oh, well, I'm never going to change his mind. It's not just about him. You're speaking up and giving another opinion 
or that 16-year-old cousin who's listening. Yeah. Or that 40-year-old aunt who needs to be inspired by your courage. Yep. But then when she's out in her own spaces, she's been empowered to speak up. Mm -hmm. So it's not always just about, but you know, the way I have found a lot of these conversations work is when I try to get somebody to help me understand how is it that you have become so personally offended that I want to remove a slave trader statue. Explain to me why that's a personal offense to you. If you start the conversation with help me understand how you think this way, because ultimately what that will do is that will help lead that person to the real truth yeah. behind what's really going on. I don't approach the conversation with, well, here's what I think. And here's why this should be this way. And you're wrong. And no, 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 no. You help me make sense out of something that I know doesn't make any sense. Mm -hmm. But I want you to help me. I want you to see that. Help me understand why you're so personally offended that people don't want to go to a school named after a slave trader. Why, why does that make you furious? What, what's that really about? Right. Just help me understand. Mm -hmm. that. Yeah. Because I know you're a good person. You know, I know you're a logical person. Mm -hmm. But this doesn't seem so logical to me. Well, I think well, that I found that's that's a good way to get some of these. And, you know, it, it's a lot. People are mm -hmm. people can be very, for lack of a better term, black and white about all this stuff. And, and you know, and of course, all the conversations we're having in, in, in the theater, um, you know, and, and, and it, I mean, honestly, I would rather stay a little more focused on the big picture right now. Yeah. I mean, you know, two weeks ago we had six men of color hung from trees that were all claimed to be suicide. So, you know, whether there's an all white revival of something, I don't really care about that right now. You know, you know what I'm saying? I mean, I, yes, I understand that's absolutely. worth talking about too, yeah. but let, let's stay focused on, you know, these people who went into Breonna Taylor's house and just killed her, mm -hmm. you know, and where's there. And I always tell people black lives matter didn't come out of all these unarmed black folks getting killed by cops. Black Lives Matter came out of these unarmed black folks getting killed by cops and nobody being held accountable for it. Exactly. I think that's mm -hmm. a big piece yeah. of the picture that people yeah. forget. Yeah. You showing me videos of cops getting killed, that's not the counter to Black Lives Matter because a cop getting killed is terrible. But you best believe you kill a cop, you go You're straight to jail. Rape. You're getting yeah. arrested. Uh -huh. and, and you should. You absolutely right. should. But that's the disconnect. You kill a black life and all of a sudden it's, well, he had marijuana on his breath. Like what? Like how is that even remotely a part of the conversation? You know, cops are not trained to kill people. Cops are trained to police and de-escalate people. And protect yeah. Yeah. Uh -huh. is the big part of that. And yeah, there's, yeah, a, yeah. there's a large part of the community of our nation that doesn't feel protected. No, not at all. feels targeted. You know? And so I think that, that there's a lot about this, the, the, these conversations, the movement happening right now that people are seeing just a little more clearly. Yeah. Yeah. And, and we're grateful to people like you who are <laughs> willing to sit down and talk to people about these things 
and really just be clear and not not like go into a hysteria. Yeah, um, and, I, and I've always the other the other place I've come from is that people only know what they know. You know, people forget, particularly those of us who live in New York and L.A. There are still a lot of people who only grow up around people who look and think like they do. That we have a lot of that still all over our country. And mm -hmm. even when you want to talk about the diversity of New York, it's like, oh, because a lot of my friends down here, when I'm telling them of things that happened in New York, they just think because New York is diverse, there are no racial problems up there. Right. And, and the reality is, let's be clear, you can walk around Times Square and see every color under the sun, but if you really look, they're probably only with their own kind, right? So you might see a group of white folks, a group of brown folks, a group of black folks, a group of whatever. Yeah, you got every kind, but they're not necessarily intermingled. You know, mm -hmm. you go to a place like South Africa, you know, or some other parts of the world, there's diversity there. Every table is going to have a different hue of a person at the same table. Mm -hmm. Okay. So we got groups of diversity, but there's also major, we all know areas in Brooklyn and Astoria or whatever that is all one type of person. The city was built that way with, exactly. with certain races, religions, creeds. Yes. In, and a lot of it was just people wanting to be together with people. But it, again, it's also systematic. It's grouping. Oh, yeah. Redlining. Yeah, exactly. It's so it was stuff. built that way. So that's why the word but, systemic is right, around because right. it's and, a bigger issue. Right. And, and the, and the, and the point is, is that people, so, so a lot of times when I approach these conversations, I can't be upset that somebody only knows the one thing they've experienced. That doesn't make them a bad person. It, right. They just don't know. And I know a lot of people are like, well, it's 2020. Everybody should know. But no, we still. And you want to see a segregated America? You look at it at, at 11 o'clock on Sunday mornings. That's when we are the most segregated. Sure. In the midst of a place where we should be the most united, we are mm -hmm. absolutely the most segregated on Sunday mornings. And that's a shame. And that's a whole other podcast, but that's the yeah. truth, you know? So it's not always about people being bad. And, and, you know, like I said, all the, all these cops that are killing the, I don't know if these cops are racist or not. It's, it's not about labeling somebody a racist or not. It's, 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 but it's about acknowledging that the race based prejudice is a real thing. And we all have, it. you know, you go, you see some blonde woman with big boobs and red lipstick, you, you think something about her. You know, you go to Home Depot with your laptop, you see one Asian guy with glasses behind the counter, that's who you want to fix your laptop, okay? Mm. That's just the reality. You come around a corner and you bump into a black dude with a hoodie on, you're gonna have a visceral reaction to that. And the, but So we all experience it, but the problem is for black and brown lives, it gets us killed the experience gets us killed. It might be unpleasant for other people to be sized up or deemed one thing or the other, but our stuff just gets us killed. There's just a whole, one of the, one of the examples I use, you know, my cousin bought a BMW and the cop stopped him because he was speeding. And the first thing the cop said to him was, whose car is this? 
So simply because of the color of his skin, the cop has escalated this to like, not just a citizen who's speeding, but now a citizen who's potentially a threat because they're a thief and they could have a gun. So the cop approached my cousin simply for speeding with his hand on his gun because of the assumption that he couldn't own that car. Okay. That's systemic. And again, I don't know if that cop is a racist or not. That's not the point. Right. The point is, is that we need to acknowledge that this systemic oppression is a thing. And that's when I go back to like, the person who says I don't see color is more dangerous than the person who's going to call me the N-word. Because if we can't all acknowledge that the, it's not until we can acknowledge that the system is in place, only then can we start to dismantle it. Right. Right. And that, and that's that's the work that I'm trying to th those are the conversations I'm trying to have is with all the all these good people who say but I'm not racist and I don't see color and well you're not a racist but you do see color cuz we all yeah. see color. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, and it's because our our America was literally set we were redlined. We were I mean from 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 the 13th amendment to redlining to the GI bill all of these things to systematically disenfranchise people of color. It's not, it's not over because it's over, you know, and like Will Smith said, racism isn't, there isn't more racism. It's just getting filmed now. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. and for those exactly. of us who experience it our whole lives, it's, it's nothing new. Yeah. You know, I, I have my opinions about police officers based on the way police officers have treated me unfairly. And the one police officer in my experience that treated me with the utmost respect in a situation where she really had very little reason to do that. I wrote her a, le I wrote her a letter to her police uh, department and six months later, she emailed me and told me that my letter in her file was the final thing she needed to get a big promotion. Wow. So uh, I'm not anti-cop. I'm anti-bad cop. Yeah. You know. And the the big message of everything that's happening in the world, and I think it's important that it not get lost, is that people want accountability for police brutality against right. people that's of color. It. And mm -hmm. that is still not happening. And we'll say it before we move on to something lighthearted, is that 87 people were arrested for protesting the death of Breonna Taylor in Louisville. And the people who killed Breonna Taylor have still not been arrested. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. two yeah. of them are still police officers. And, so, and, and the guy who shot back at the police officers because he thought some unnamed people were breaking into his was house. Was arrested immediately. He went directly yeah. to jail. So uh -huh. I just encourage everyone in this time when we're all posting, and I know I'm guilty of it too, it's very easy to share something on your social media, but you have to follow that up with a call to the leadership in Louisville, a signing of a petition. Um, you know, you, we really have to follow up our social media activism with the actual act, right? Yeah. So yeah. that's what I'll say now. And hey, can, uh, we just, can we do a cheers for, yes. for John Lewis? Yes. A yes. moment. 
Uh-huh. John Lewis, what a life he led. Congressman John Lewis. Uh, yeah, passed away yesterday. Part of the Selma, right? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. you know what's interesting? It goes back to like, you know, he's he's the same age as my mom. You know, the first time he was arrested was for using a white water fountain or bathroom. It's like it wasn't hundreds and hundreds of years ago. No. <laughs> Like you know, it wasn't like our grandfather's grandfather's grandfather's. It was like our parents. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. You know, but he yeah. just he just was respected on the on both sides of the aisle and just marched with Dr. King and was just such a, you know, a, he, he, he you just look at him and you just saw hope and progress, mm-hmm. you know. So if you're not familiar with that story, please take some time today and, and John Lewis. Yes. look John Lewis up and uh, that. And Caleb is going to take us out with a game. Thank you oh, again, okay. Alan, for, yeah, for yeah. talking about that with us. Mm-hmm. Um, so these are just quick questions. No worry. Um, not a lot of thinking to it. Um, so favorite topping on che- your cheeseburger? Bacon. Yes, always. And not that Canadian bacon, like thick bacon. I want to pick like me. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, where do you want to travel after quarantine? Um, I definitely want to go uh, back to Africa because I've been I've been several times to the southern and the middle parts of Africa. I want to get to Ghana because <clears throat> I think that's where my that's where my people are. So cool. Yeah, that'd be really fun. Yeah. Um. How you said you're working out in the morning. So what's your like your your workout, like your number your go-to, like staying fit? I like to get on that BOSU. You know what the BOSU is? No. It's, it's, it's like it's like half of a ball. And then okay, there's yeah, a yeah. platform over it. So you've got you got balance situation. So mm-hmm. I like to stand on the BOSU and lift my little weights, always having to it just keeps my core, it's like balance for life. <clears throat> and then I've just recently gotten into jumping rope. Because it's something I can do outside. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, when the gyms were closed, it was something that I could do. And it's just a total body body situation. Mm -hmm. So I'm kind of liking jump rope now. I can't do it for a real long time, but I enjoy it. (laughs) (laughs) She gets you tired real quick. (laughs) Um, Your favorite childhood toy. Say that again. Your favorite childhood toy. Oh, you know what? I didn't play with a lot of toys. Apparently, I colored all the time. Still good. Which, which I am not a good visual artist, but I don't really have... I remember I had a, a lime green dump truck. That's one of the few things that I remember that I played. It, it like slowly would open and it would... You know, I feel like that somehow brought me a lot of joy. I'm not sure why. Now, when you're coloring, like, what was your medium? You know, were you using markers, colored pencils, a 48 crayon, crayon, oh, crayon. 64 crayon, yes. it was 128 crayon? crayon. Yeah, it was what, crayon. What count level of, do you I remember? I just wanted whatever box had that sharpener in it. Uh-huh, yes. that's like the 4864, the, yeah. the big ones. I think yeah. that's, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> the best thing about Texas is? The food. Yes. Those donuts. Mm-hmm, the donuts. That's why everybody in Texas is fat. Because <laughs> you can literally get a you can get a plate of food that would serve about four people for like seven dollars. Oh. The portions are are just you know bigger in Texas. That's a thing. everything's bigger in Texas. Yes. Um, the last question is: 
I can't believe this is my job moment you've ever had in your career. Um, mm. I, the first thing that comes to mind is carrying Cheetah Rivera around in a chair when I did the visit. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was pretty like, and like now that we're friends and talk on the phone, that's that's still sometimes a little bit of like, and then just recently, the thing I was supposed to do um, right before the pandemic started was a, a play called Blue that Charles Randolph Wright wrote and uh, Felicia Rashad is the director. And so we did a Zoom uh, reading of the play. And so uh, she called me. So like three weeks ago, wow. I spoke on the phone with Felicia Rashad for about an hour and, and just was like, oh, okay, I'm just, and it was funny because my sister, I wrote my sister a little note and I was like, I'm talking to Claire Huxtable. And so <laughs> my sister wrote me back and she was like, tell her I said this, tell her I, and then I just was like, no, I think. And so I said, uh, I said, Miss Rashad, my, my sister is freaking out that I'm talking to you, as am I. Um, would you just talk to her? And my sister was like, no, no, no. And I just gave her the phone and she talked to my sister for like 10 minutes. Uh-huh. Which was so just cool. really sweet, but that that was really cool, um, you know, yeah. Well, it's cool to like work with people we look up to, the uh, the the people in our lives. It's, it's oh so, oh, and I got to tell you one other thing that I just hadn't thought about. I, so Mercedes Ellington, Duke Ellington's granddaughter, was the choreographer of uh, Play On, the first show that I did, mm-hmm. and so they had an 80th birthday party for Lena Horne at the Lincoln Center, this is a hundred years ago, right? And so there was a choir that was singing, If You Believe from The Wiz to Lena Horn. And wow. so I was like, Mercedes, please, can I get in that choir? I just, of course it was sold out. I just wanted to be there. I said, if they, so she, Mercedes got me in that choir. And this is back when I was like, you talk about asking for what you want. So I was determined to get close to Lena Horn. Now she was sitting in a box seat. And then at some point I found out that she was gonna come on stage. So I was all dressed up in a tux. Somehow after the choir sang, I got backstage and got on the sides of the stage. And the chef brought out the cake and Lena Horn walked on stage as they were about to sing happy birthday to her. And the chef had the tr- the cart with the cake. And I just looked at him and I said, I'm supposed to take that out there. <gasps> and me and Liza Minnelli rolled that cake out to Lena Horn and sang happy birthday to her. You are ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't thought about that in a minute, but that was one. Of, and so a lot of friends of mine were at the event and they were like, child, when we saw you walk out there with that cake, I was just determined. And so I got to sing happy birthday to Lena Horn with Liza Minnelli standing right next to me. Yeah, I would say yeah. that's a pretty cool moment. Yeah. <laughs> that you just I've like lucky. I've had some good ones, but that's that, a good one. Yeah. That you just like strong armed into happening. Yeah. Yeah. Well, <laughs> Alan, 
I'm so glad we strong armed you into being on the show. Thank yeah. you so much for Thank chatting God. with us. Yeah, sure. Um, where can people find you on social media? Just, just good old Instagram at Alan H Green. You know, I, 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 I was doing it for School of Rock or no for Charlie, and then I got hacked and. It was gone uh, for a while. And then I did Broadway Bounty Hunter with Annie Golden. So they were like, you know, start it again. So um, it's fun to do. I just post. Basically, it's like fitness, faith, and fun, and food. That's like my things. And I love your social media. All you need. Yeah. 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 Well, follow Alan. Thank you again so much for coming on the show. Thank y'all um, for having me. You can find. Safe travels and have fun at the drag show tonight. Oh, I yeah. will. I'm yeah. ready. I'm all pre-gamed, ready to go. I'm not driving, so don't worry. Um, you can find our show at Equity One Podcast on Instagram and Facebook and at Equity One underscore on Twitter. Send us an email at equityonepodcast at gmail.com. Um, Elliot, where can we find you on, on the media? Uh, you can find me at Elliot Maddox on everything. Caleb? Uh, Caleb Dickey, everywhere. And until next time, cheers. Cheers. See y'all. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the Rise Theater Directory, a program of maestro music. Rise is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theater professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. <gasps> no, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.